very different way of working and it's a different culture that we really do have to launch. This is by no means an advisory add-on. Clinical and care professional leadership really is the key with which ICSs are going to succeed or fail. Hello and welcome everyone to our new podcast series focusing on the importance of fully inclusive, multi-professional clinical and care professional leadership. So what is clinical and care professional leadership, you ask? Why does it matter and how does it play a part in designing and delivering integrated care? This podcast series is going to be focusing on guidance that supports the development of distributed clinical and care professional leadership across integrated care systems or ICSs. This guidance identified five core design principles for effective professional leadership across ICSs. Today's episode will be focusing on the story of why. Before we begin today, let's hear from our expert panel. Hi, I'm Des Breen. I'm National Clinical Advisor for System Transformation with NHS England. Hello, I'm Rariette Nukade, and I work in North East London as Chief Pharmacist and Director of Medicines and Pharmacy, and I also have a role in the North Thames Genomic Medicine Service Alliance. My name is Gina Sargent. I'm the Chief Allied Health Professions Officer for NHSE in the South West and co-chair of the BSW AHP Council. Hello, I'm David Pearson. I'm a proud social worker by trade um, who became a director of adult social care with Nottinghamshire County Council and uh, a chair of the integrated care system in Nottinghamshire. And I'm currently system partnership advisor with the NHS. I'm Sakti Karunaniti, director of public health in Lancashire. I'm also one of the national advisors for system transformation NHS England. I'm Dr Will Taylor, I'm a GP, but I'm also the Chief Medical Officer designate for the Herefordshire and Worcestershire ICS. So my name is Chris West, I'm Deputy Chief Nursing Officer for Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland Integrated Care Board. Des gives us his 60 second breakdown of the five core design principles for effective clinical and care professional leadership. In high level terms, the five principles are principle one is about multi-professional clinical and care professional leadership integral to decision making at all levels of the system. And the word we use there is permeate system. The second principle is about multi-professional culture and leadership to work together collaboratively to innovate. The third principle is about supporting the clinical and care professional leaders in terms of time, business uh, information, analytics, project management support to be able to do the job effectively. Principle four is around developing our clinical leaders, recognising that every clinical leader has got different needs and from a starting point and you need different needs at uh, each level of the system. And principle five is about inclusively looking for our future leaders and our talent management in terms of developing our leaders for the future. As mentioned, we're taking a look at this guidance. However, we're fortunate enough to have some members of our expert panel today who are involved with the development of it. Des, Gina and Sakti break down exactly the scale of engagement when it came to developing it. We had a a steering group made up of multiple clinical and care professional leaders, and we then went out and engaged with well over 2,000 multi-professional clinical and care leaders uh, across England to try and co-design this, uh, trying to address some of the historical issues that we've got with clinical and care professional leaders. There was a conscious attempt made by people on the steering group to really reach out to 
various professional groups and a wide range of stakeholders to get that wider perspective in ensuring that uh, the clinical and care professional leadership remains as multi-professional and centred around people and communities. So it was really important to capture that energy and those thoughts and turn that frustration into real uh, planning and consideration of how clinical and care professional leadership will work and have real impact for our patients. Sounds interesting, right? So let's find out a bit more about what arose out of this engagement. We listened really hard to what people were telling us about how they felt uh, for the new world, the frustrations of old models and hierarchies and how we really wanted the voice of our qualified and unqualified workforce to really have decision making ability and the idea that they could take what they're seeing day to day with their patients popularize that and really have an impact on how we could change what the patients need across an ICS. You know, there's really good evidence that involving clinical and care professional leadership at all levels of the system really leads to better patient outcomes. And that's the driving force. So we wanted to address some of the sort of real issues that, you know, often it's medically dominated. It's usually people who are representing organisations, not there for a function, that they are not as inclusive, not collaborative, that they're often leaders are not given time to do it or the support that they need. And obviously we don't develop our leaders to do the job and also we don't actively go out and uh, seek leaders of the future so in very high level terms uh, that's the sort of issues that the guidance is trying to address. Sakti highlighted the intrinsic link between leadership and specific roles present in traditional thinking and the importance of diverse leadership both of which were themes throughout the engagement. Another theme that was throughout this engagement from my perspective having been part of the steering group was the idea that uh, it was easy to relate to leadership to positional roles and not necessarily at all levels. And that's something that um, informed our discussions to ensure that leadership isn't about just filling positional roles at the boards and representing your professions, but it's it's at all levels from direct patient care to being at the board and being in various committees. And the second theme that was also evident um, was the need to have the equity and represent people from diverse backgrounds, particularly from ethnic minority groups, which was also a theme that really uh, has got finally reflected actually in, in, in the principles but what's clinical and care professional leadership really look like in the everyday? Ralea shares her thoughts. I would say that we're still probably developing on how it would look like in the everyday. And as the ICSs are developing and building structures and so on, that it really is around um, building in the principles as the structures are being produced in, in the everyday, really, is, is really that the um, this idea of that distributed leadership across all levels and the le- leadership not being narrowly defined, which is really what we, um, you know, what we have had I've seen in the past and the, the connection with communities and making sure that the voices of the communities informed by the different clinical and care professionals really feeding to the decision making is what I'm looking forward to seeing you know, as the ICSs grow and develop. This idea of distributed leadership that Ralia mentions really got our panel thinking about clinical and care system leadership but on a much more broader scale. 
it is about how we find solutions by bringing our expertise so that may well be clinical it may well be a, a more social care based professionalism but actually I think it's a bit about oh, we all have slightly different skills in order to make the changes happen that's why it's different if I'm honest I think because it's a melting pot of, of all the different professionals and I think from my point of view I've, I've come at this with the background of both in being in clinical commissioning and as a GP. The other thing I think I've noticed that's really key in this is, especially with my secondary care colleagues, we tend to teach organisational leadership um, and we develop organisational leadership. System leadership is very, very different. It's about developing relationships. It's about engaging stakeholders. It's about bringing people with you. It's not about leading from the front and all that. And it is a very different skill set that we really need to develop in people now. And, and, and systems, I think, really need to recognise that and embrace that for this to work. Finding solutions and building relationships. Sir David sums it up best by explaining how good things happen when we work together. When disciplines work together to design what we do, then the design is better and the outcomes are better. And secondly, when we come to changing things, they change more effectively, they change with collaboration. And one of the things that we do know is that that enables people to learn together and collaborate around shared objectives. And all the international evidence tells us that when good people get together to work in that way, it makes a huge difference to the communities we serve. So one of the reasons why I'm passionate about this and making sure that the one and a half million people in working out at social care in this country are part of this is because I know it will make a huge difference. So building relationships is key for clinical and care professional leadership to take effect. However, one aspect that can't be ignored is the importance of a cultural change. Des emphasises this point and highlights a more recent example of culture at its best. The culture is the key. I mean, because if you haven't got that cultural change, then this won't work. And so I think it's absolutely crucial that we nurture the culture of multi-professionals and collaboration within this and also support it and develop it as necessary. And that's what these five high level principles uh, are designed to address. So if you think of some of the things that uh, the health and care system achieved during COVID, you know, that is a culture of collaboration at its best. So culture is key. Chris and Ryan reflect on what it really takes to change our culture. To change culture, there there has really has got to be that a company mindset change and the ability for us to to challenge and to encourage challenge actually from from all levels. You know, you can't you can't change culture overnight, and it needs all all, all of us and um, all leads really from all levels really to focus on how is it that we need to change our behaviour. So culture is 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 built on the way that you speak to people, the way that you interact with them. And now that our environment is slightly different, we have a, another set of barriers to get over, don't we? The, 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 the digital age. So in order to develop that culture, develop the one where we are a system, where we are working together, where we do trust one another, where we do have those conversations, it takes time. So changing culture takes effort. It also requires people to have the capacity and the ability to to explore what that looks like for them. Workforce is something Will and Sir David think needs particular attention, with Sir David giving us an indicator on the importance of taking those temperature checks on the ground. Workforce, I think, is one of our biggest strengths and one of our biggest risks in the NHS. A workforce that feels engaged, that feels part of the conversation, that feels ownership, 
and encouraging that culture, I think will that help us retain workforce, have a happier workforce and have a more motivated workforce. And I think that is one of the key parts of this. I just wanted to do agree with Will's point entirely. Actually, leadership can come from anywhere. And we need as many leaders working together as possible. The cultural side of this is partly about making sure that we're all in this together and working together in a way that perhaps we've done before, but not to the extent we need to do it. And secondly, that we are making sure we're embedding those perspectives in the structures that we're building with the integrated care systems, but also recognising that culture is about relationships. The lifeblood of this is reflection, dialogue and problem solving. Having those ingredients together, working in tandem alongside each other, which integrated care systems have an, an amazing opportunity to build into the work that they do. When it comes to clinical and care professional leadership, it's often said that it's a key enabler for the success of ICSs. We rose this idea and had Will, Gina and Sir David give us their thoughts. I mean, I think it's going to be very hard to achieve the four purposes around the ICSs without engaging and using the breadth of experience you have in the clinical care leadership space. You know, almost anything you need, you need to do requires people to get down and actually design and think about what good looks like. There is no way you can do that without fully engaging with that sector, but also having people with the skills and the breadth of people with the skills to lead a diverse group of professionals from across a diverse group of organisations. It's just not going to work otherwise. It's those people in those leadership roles, working in clinical and care settings, who understand and are in touch with the experience of the people in their communities. When describing clinical and care professional leadership, I often alter the two C's to that of compassion and collaboration, because that absolutely is at the core of what we do. I think if you train together and you learn together, those are the two most important steps to actually then doing differently together whether that be an acute alliance, an integrated care board, or in the other pathway groups or other structures that the integrated care systems give us. I think people understanding the breadth and what could appear quite complex range of opportunities in a new integrated care system. It is quite different, as others have said on this uh, so far. It's a very different way of working and it's a different culture that we really do have to launch. This is by no means an advisory add-on Clinical and care professional leadership really is the key with which ICSs are going to succeed or fail. If I just think about this practically around how it could change, I mean, with my GP hat on, I've been a GP in in South Birmingham for about 15 years now. I still couldn't tell you the names of the social workers that cover my patch, let alone how to contact them. Um, And that can't be right in, in this day and age. Where actually, if we embrace place and we embrace communities and think about actually there is a team of a multi-professional clinical and professional team in a place, in in an area of 30, 50,000 neighbourhood, as Claire Fuller has put it, who know each other, who work together, who build those levels of trust. Actually, the fragmented care we see of patients can start being overcome and actually you can see people creating really innovative and creative solutions to some of the problems we see at the moment.
So safe to say that clinical and care professional leadership is key to the success of integrated health and care systems. Sakti and Chris reflect on the opportunities presented by systems implementing the guidance effectively. I mean, one of the immediate opportunities we have, and I think we, we really have this in front of us now, is to shift away from developing leadership within professional disciplines, say GPs and primary care networks and therapists and social workers, but actually smash those boundaries when we actually develop leadership programs for the system to bring those professionals together in our leadership programs. I still see us developing our future leaders and current leaders in professional silos, and that's something that's within our reach at a local level we should try and achieve, and indeed at the national level. We can always function we can always deliver something, but if we want it to be, and I'm going to use very much the words in my sphere of expertise, if we want quality, if we want effectiveness, if we want safety, if we want really good experience for not only our people, our population, but our staff who are indeed part and parcel and often of that population, then we need to be curious. You know, this is the opportunity I think we're being given to start to stretch out and learn. And it, again, if we're understanding more about being inclusive. It can only, only enrich the lives of people and the ability to deliver efficient care in a clinical and social care it can only be improved if we find solutions. And we can only do that by being curious, in my opinion. We've unpacked a lot in today's episode, which is why Ralia is sharing with us her key takeaways. A key takeaway for me really is about the opportunity to be really creative about how we engage with our communities. Because if you have that distributed leadership at all levels and lots of different perspectives, it means that we can communicate and engage with the people we serve, with the communities we serve, and really bring them into that their, their perspectives as well, into the decision making at all levels. That's an opportunity really to improve health and improve equity of outcomes really by reaching deeply in from all with lots of different perspectives is for me a really important message to understand around benefits and opportunities in clinical and care professional leadership and that's it we really do hope we've sparked your curiosity and kept you engaged throughout our expert panel will be back very soon in episode two where they're going to be discussing principles one and two taking a particular spotlight on integrating decision-making and creating a culture of shared learning, collaboration, and innovation. Thanks for listening. Take care.